Flag Arts is supported by the Warner Ellathorpe Fund at the Oregon Community Foundation and the Calio Levine Fund. We welcome your support. Simply go to our website, agarts.org, and hit that donate button or hit the link in our show notes. I used to travel to a vet in Brighton, Iowa, um, and on my way back with my cat, I ended up driving past the property, and we'd looked for farms, you know, over years looking to find, and nothing really spoke to us. And I called Jeff from the top of the road and said, I think I found our farm. Today, we're visiting the Yum Yum Farm with Jeff and Joanna Mooming. Just off a gravel road near Wellman, Iowa, the Mooming's Red House, surrounded by young fruit trees and restored prairie, rises up on the horizon, creating a thoughtful and artistic presence. I had driven by their place scores of times, wondering what imaginative folks lived inside. Then one night, I found myself chatting to them at a party, one of many couples, neither Amish nor Mennonite, drawn to this area for its homesteading lifestyle. The Moomings have taken an old rundown farm, the soil long depleted from conventional agriculture, and turned it into a prairie paradise. Both Jeff and Joanna are city people who had fallen in love with living in the country. They were fans of Helen and Scott Nearing's Living the Good Life, How to Live Sanely and Simply in a Troubled World. From the Good Life, many a modern worker, dependent on wage and salary, lodged in city flat or closely built up suburb, and held to the daily grind by family demands and other complicating circumstances, has watched for a chance to escape the cramping limitations of his surroundings, to take his life into his own hands and live it in the country in a decent, simple, kindly way. The Moomings both had off-farm jobs, but they wanted a large garden to grow their own food. They wanted to live in a cabin, a small dwelling with a light footprint on the earth. They wanted solitude through an embrace of conservation. Aldo Leopold's story of finding and restoring a farm in Sand County Almanac became their guide. Once they found their land, the Moomings found an architect to build their house. John DeForest in Seattle, Washington, answered their call. Jeff and Joanna are some of my favorite favorite clients ever for many reasons. Um, and largely, um, well, one of the reasons being that they taught me so much about uh, working together and collaborating and brought such great energy. Um, so that was fairly early on in our practice, the way it's developed. Um, we're all about including the client in the design process because we think that's that's really part of the adventure and part of the value that we offer people. And they're the sort of people who just embrace that wholeheartedly and wrote a blog describing every step of the way. And, <laughs> uh, you know, we're curious about every step. And, and we just found that that clicked really well. Um, so since then, I think it's become clearer to us that that's that collaborative aspect. And maybe... Uh, giving up some ego and authorship in return for a 
which I don't have a lot of <laughs> either of those. Um, but in return for um, uh, sort of engaging clients' passion and interests and ideas, mm-hmm. and, and we're we're all motivated by uh, learning and sort of taking shared adventures. So, as I say, it's kind of e- easy to give up the the model of the architect as oh, the architect has the the vision and you know, the projects and the clients are just a means to an end. That's not, not what we're about. In the beginning, DeForest traveled to Iowa to get a sense of the location. We tried to give them the full Iowa experience, so we threw some things into that. You know, obviously, so we lived in Iowa City at the time and got to take advantage of, uh, of Iowa City. And we also took them around to a lot of the you know, we may know the sites really well, but I don't know that it's well known outside of Iowa that we have some real architectural gems here. So one of them we took into the Jewel Box Bank in Grinnell. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you probably know the uh, Cedar Rock up in Quasquitan, mm-hmm. uh, the Frank Lloyd Wright House there. Uh, we actually, and Joanna, you can tell this story, we arranged a really great architectural tour for him in Moline. Yeah, so... Um so the John Deere World headquarters were designed by Eero Sarnen, who designed the St. Louis Arch. And so I contacted John Deere and said, we have a celebrated architect from the Northwest coming to visit, and we'd like to get a tour. And so they gave us a tour, like a two-hour tour that was uh, led by an architect. And so we, it was just, we saw like every single floor. We saw the executive floor. It was just. You're in the boardroom, and, and they have great. they have all the original furniture um, from when the building was was brand new, and they've also bought all the land in the view because they have windows all across the front of the building. So they bought all the land in the view, so there will always remain a rural kind of landscape. The Moomings House was designed to be an integral part of their rural landscape: small, compact, sustainable, more economical to heat and cool. Outside, gabled roofs and porches create the appearance of an old farmhouse. Inside, recycled materials create a sleek but rustic look. Tree and the table? Yeah, so this is, um, they call it ambrosia maple because it was a maple infested by the ambrosia beetle. Uh, But this was, this is actually not native tile. This is from Ohio. a tree was felled in my brother's yard, uh, and they had the good sense to kind of rough mill it. And he had this slab sitting in his garage uh, on a couple of sawhorses as his table workbench. And he was getting ready to remodel his garage. Said, you want that slab of wood? And he said, uh, yeah. And so we brought it home. We had it, it was planned. In, and it just it, it exactly fit in my, because it's pretty long, as you see, it exactly fit in my van. Yeah. I mean, it was literally like right to the edge of the van. And it's really heavy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we took the time to refinish it. So one of the things that we did, you know, we wanted to include uh, as many environmentally friendly things as we could in doing the house. So the floor that we're on, which is also reclaimed, uh, we finished it with a kind of a European oil slash wax product. Uh, so it's not really like a plastic polyurethane coating over it. And um, we did the same thing with the table too. So after sanding it down, getting it to this finish, it has that kind of European oil finish on it. So this, you know, if, if one of the cats walks across it and scratches it, we can just kind of touch it up with oil. But, uh, yeah, it's nice. And, uh, 
we just finished this at the beginning of the year, so this is pretty new wow. to us too. Yeah, and, and some I, of the and first I, guests at it. Yeah, and I, I like I, the the idea of the oil or the wax. I think is nice because this. I think of the the wood being like old skin and dry skin, and it makes sense rather than just coating it with something plastic, something yeah. that soaks into okay. it. It kind of it just it it seems a nice sense sensibility. The flooring purchased in the Amana colonies and milled by an Amish man has a character of its own in a house whose interior, designed by John DeForest, purposely has an openness, more like a New York loft. I would say it was less that than uh, kind of a iconic farmhouse language. There, there's, you know, good reason for gable roofs. Um, and I think a lot of what we did there was playing with scale and proportion. So the overall form is um, pretty traditional and very practical. Mm -hmm. um, but there are places where, uh, you know, the, a window is goes wall to wall instead of being what we call punched opening in the middle of the wall. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, something's bigger or smaller than you expect it to be. Um, so there's, there's sort of the big picture framework of what's the overall shape and massing of it. And then there'll be sort of smaller um, surprises within it. And and I would say inside, part of what we did was, uh, here's the fancy architecture way to say it. We de dematerialized walls. So we removed some walls um, to have things be more light and open and flexible mm -hmm. for a pretty compact, pretty small house. It, it lives bigger and more flexibly, and that's... That was a big goal for that and continues to be. In one word, the Moomings house is meticulous. The place is immaculate, without a newspaper or a book on the table or a dish in the sink. The plain, simple lines of the house and furniture cast an elegance across the small space whose southern bank of windows opens on a wide expanse of prairie on the horizon, all land that the Moomings have restored. The mission of Ag Arts is to imagine and promote healthy food systems through the arts. We do this in a number of ways. For example, this podcast, Ag Arts from Horse and Buggy Land, and your help, your donation, funds our technical assistance, our website, our manager, and pays our rent here. We also do this through our Farm to Artist residencies. And on these residencies, artists do their work on farms, real working farms, and there they understand the issues of the farmers and reflect that in their art. Your funding keeps us alive. Please make a donation on our website, agarts.org, A-G-A-R-T-S dot O-R-G, or click the link in the show notes and hit that donation button. I had a little bit of exposure to kind of prairie restoration and invasive species and all that kind of stuff through my day job. Uh, and we had played around with native plantings uh, at the house we lived at in Iowa City. Uh, but this was an opportunity to really take a deep dive into that um, and also do something good for a big chunk of land, too. We were aware, but not 
really well informed uh, about conservation practices embodied in like the CRP, the Conservation Reserve Program, and did look into that, became aware of the waterway and the riparian buffer strip programs that you can sign up for really any time. And while we were renting out the majority of acres for row crops for the first few years here, we did install those. And we immediately noticed an improvement in uh, kind of the the washout and the gullying effect, um, particularly to the south on the neighbor's property that is still in row crops. They would have these long, deep gorges going through where it all ran off of our property. After we installed that, that really disappeared. Um, then I think the next step was probably to do what we call the yard prairie. Uh, we had in this time also visited places. I'd read San Calm a Sand County Almanac by that time by Aldo Leopold and just kind of studied up on that. And, and it really struck a nerve with us and we got the prairie bug. Um, and so as soon as we could, we did the yard prairie. It was really successful. And within their prairie, Jeff and Joanna delighted in the grasses and wildflowers that came into bloom. So, so it is a dominant, what this prairie mix is meant to mimic is the original tall grass prairie that existed pre-European settlement in this area. So to that end, we've got big blue stem, little blue stem, Indian grass, switchgrass, uh, side oats, grama, Canadian wild rye, I think Virginia wild rye. Um, those are the grasses. I, I love the rattlesnake master, <clears throat> Eryngium yuccafolium. I love saying that because it looks like a yucca plant. It looks so exotic out there, and that's really done well. What's really fun is to see what is dominant in any given year over another. And uh, the kind of things that impact that could be, did it get burned? Did it get mowed? Did we have a dry winter? Did we have a wet winter? Did I mow in the fall? Did I mow in the spring? So every year this kind of reveals itself in a different way. So the rattlesnake master was really prominent this year. The aster, the New England aster was all over the place. We've got three different varieties of goldenrod. And that's just beautiful. Once we hit, I call them the football season plants. So the aster and the goldenrod, and then the um, the big blue stem and the Indian grass coming into maturity. It's just stunning here in August into September. Uh, what else have I missed? Of course, purple coneflower, lots of purple coneflowers. The originally, and a lot of people who've worked with prairies will recognize this, that the early colonizers are the yellow things. So lots of black-eyed Susan to start out with. And I don't see so much of that anymore. What we still see quite a bit of uh, is the partridge pea. Um, yeah, sorry, lost that for a second. But the partridge pea has done really well. That being a legume is kind of opportunistic in a low nitrogen environment because it fixes nitrogen in the soil. So it almost looks like we can tell that's kind of a bare patch. Wait for some partridge pea to come up there. And we've had a couple of years where I think due to rainfall um, and just some bare spots, the partridge pea has gotten, what, maybe three or four feet tall. And we usually think of that as a ground cover. Uh, so that can be really dramatic. So that ebb and flow of the species is really, really a neat thing to observe. Uh, lots of the yellow coneflower, the retibita or the grayhead coneflower. Um, when I think of partridge pea, I think we kind of we're talking about heroes right now with COVID, people that are working, you know, having to work and serve the public. And I, I kind of thought of partridge pea like that because it shows up when there's low nitrogen. And so it's like kind of like a hero kind of is what mm -hmm. it is. The other thing too, and Aldo Leopold touches on this in a really poignant way, talking about the last compass plant at the corner of a lot that's been plowed and 
for a few years, it tries to come up and makes a gallant effort at doing that. Um, but eventually through mowing and, you know, manicuring the area, it just goes away too. And what we've been really excited about is to see the reappearance of the sylphium. So the cup plant and the compass plant, and those are really dramatic. And those feel like a real win to see those showing up. In a Sand County almanac, Aldo Leopold wrote about finding a compass plant, Silphium lacinatum, tucked in an unmowed patch of tall grass in an old cemetery. He wrote, heretofore unreachable by a scythe or mower, this yard square relic of original Wisconsin gives birth each July to a man-high stalk of compass plant or cut leaf, Silphium spangled with saucer-sized yellow blooms resembling sunflowers. It is the sole remnant of this plant along this highway and perhaps the sole remnant in the western half of our county. Leopold continued, what a thousand acres of silphium look like when they tickled the bellies of the buffalo is a question never again to be answered or perhaps not even asked. The Moomings Yard Prairie commands one's attention on the main floor of the house, yet on the first level, a small basement room packs a lot of power. Here are racks of grow lights with seedlings ready to go into the garden. A few steps out the door, and we're in the midst of four large plots. A hoop house destroyed by last summer's derecho on one side, and a gardening shed on the other. In the beginning of their land stewardship, Jeff and Joanna did nothing but farm the soil. From years of conventional farming, the soil had compacted and was depleted of organic matter. We were really surprised to come out here and find really how kind of depleted the soil was. Where we lived in Iowa City, we had this beautiful loamy soil, and I think it was just by virtue of not being gardened in forever. It was a, what, 1935 or 37 house. And so the grass had just been cut, it laid there, it broke down. And so there's this really nice fluffy soil, really easy to grow really high quality veggies there. And you would think moving to an Iowa farm, you could grow the best possible produce in the universe. Um, But we had a real tough time with it. And even just breaking the ground, we tell a story of like renting an auger to plant some trees out here. And the ground was so compacted, such heavy thick clay, that it just kind of shined a circle. And was and like bouncing up, kind of. And it kept yeah. bouncing on the ground. So we had to do a lot, not only in the yard, um, but throughout the place to kind of, we wanted to improve the quality of the soil. Kind of so, farm the soil is really what we were doing. We wanted to grow, right, to yeah. farm the soil and improve the soil. And in 2011, 2010, 2011, uh, the sign-up reopened for the CP25 or the prairie planting program. And we enrolled in that. We were told that the bid that we put in had the highest score of anybody because we have what they call highly erodible land, kind of marginal farmland. So we were a really good candidate for it. Um, And so we took it out of row crops, did that planting, and we've basically been kind of nurturing uh, the prairie to come into existence to where it is now. And it's about a total of 50 acres of prairie that we have here out of the 55. After years of hard work, planting cover crops, adding compost, and rotating garden plots, the moomings build up their soil into rich, productive ground. Now they grow a multitude of vegetables, with Jeff taking on the garden labor 
and Joanna doing the cooking and food preservation. Yeah, so so I we're vegetarian, so we we can grow most of what we eat here too. Um, so and then I uh, we had we uh, grow a tomato and Amish paste tomato is what we primarily grow because it's good for fresh eating, but it's also excellent for canning. So we had a great year with the tomato this year. So I canned a total of 124 pounds of tomatoes into juice and crushed tomatoes both. And then also pickled peppers. So we pickled jalapenos and um, sweet peppers and then banana peppers all this year. So I don't, and I don't know how many pounds of those. It was quite a bit, though. Jeff and Joanna share their bounty with a vast number of friends and acquaintances. Because a lot of people wanted, heard about our house and wanted to see our house. And strangers sometimes reach out to us to see our house. And we think if they enjoy architecture, that we're probably going to like them because we like architecture. But the house rule is that if we have guests, we feed them because it's Yum Yum Farm. We have some kind of something together. So Nice. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to experience it that way, too. And guests gathered around the dinner table gave rise to the naming of the Moomings Farm. I'm fortunate to be married to a very good cook, so the word yum comes out of my mouth a lot. And that brings our episode to a close for today. Ag Arts from Horse and Buggy Land was produced by Rick Brewer of Brouhaha Audio Productions. We had support from the Werner Ellathorpe Fund at the Oregon Community Foundation and the Calio Levine Fund, who also funds our farm to artist residencies. We welcome your support. We welcome the support of other foundations and groups who would like to keep this podcast going. You can donate by going on the website agarts.org, A-G-A-R-T-S dot O-R-G, and clicking that red donate button. Thank you for your help, and we'll see you next time.